<clears throat> Good to see everyone else here today. Let's take our Bibles this morning and uh, turn with me once again to the, the book of Acts, Acts chapter 22. And uh, your Bibles are probably falling open to Acts. We've been here for, uh, one of you reported, I didn't remember, but it's been, uh, I think next Sunday will be a year. And we've been an axe. So, <laughs> so uh, and I won't even apologize because it's been probably one of my, the best series that I've actually personally, uh, God has blessed me with. But let's go to Acts chapter 22. And uh, last week, it's a continuation. We left you at a, at a high point, if you will. We were in 21. Paul was, uh, was back in Jerusalem, and we'll get into a little more of that to review. But starting now, chapter 22, verse 1, it says, Men, brethren, and fathers, hear you my defense, which I make now unto you. And when they heard that, he spake in the Hebrew tongue to them. They kept the more silence, and he saith, I am verily a man which am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers, and was zealous toward God, as you all are this day. And I persecuted this way unto the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. As also the high priest doth bear me witness in all the estate of the elders, from whom also I received letters unto the brethren, and went to Damascus to bring them, which were there bound unto Jerusalem for to be punished. It came to pass, as I made my journey, and was come nigh unto Damascus about noon, suddenly there shone from heaven a great light round about me. I fell unto the ground and heard a voice saying unto me, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And I answered, Who art thou, Lord? And he said unto me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecutest. And they that were with me saw indeed the light and were afraid. But they heard not the voice of him that spake to me, and I, and I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said unto me, Arise, and go into Damascus, and there it shall be told thee of all things which are appointed for thee to do. And when I could not see for the glory of that light, being led by the hand of them that were, that were with me, I came into Damascus. And one, Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, having a good report of all the Jews which dwelt there, came unto me and stood and said unto me, Brother Saul, receive thy sight." And the same hour I looked up upon him, and he said, The God of our fathers hath chosen thee, that thou shouldest know his will, and see that just one, and shouldest hear the voice of his mouth. For thou shalt be his witness unto all men of what thou hast seen and heard. And now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized, and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. came to pass that when I was come again to Jerusalem, even while I prayed in the temple, I was in a trance. And saw him saying unto me, Make haste and get thee quickly out of Jerusalem, for they will not receive thy testimony concerning me. And I said, Lord, they know that I am imprisoned and beat in every synagogue them that believed on thee. And when the blood of thy martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by and consenting unto his death and kept the raiment of them that slew him. He said unto me, Depart, for I will send thee far hence unto the Gentiles. They gave him audience unto this word. Then lifted up their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for it is not fit that he should live. As they cried out and cast off their clothes and threw dust into the air, the chief captain commanded him to be brought into the castle and bade that he should be examined by scourging, that he might know wherefore they cried so against him. As they bound him with thongs, Paul said unto the centurion that stood by, Is it lawful for you to scourge a man that is a Roman and uncondemned? 
When the centurion heard that, he went and told the chief captain, saying, Take heed what you do, for this man is a Roman. Then the chief captain came and said unto him, Tell me, art thou a Roman? And he said, Yea. The chief captain answered, With a great sum obtained I this freedom. And Paul said, But I was free born. Then straightway they departed from him, which should have examined him. And the chief captain also was afraid, after he knew that he was a Roman, and because he had bound him. On the morrow, because he would have known the certainty wherefore he was accused of the Jews, he loosed him from his bands and commanded the chief priests and all their counsel to appear and brought Paul down and set him before them. May God add a special blessing to the reading of his word, and let us just pause for prayer before we begin our study. Father God, we're here in this place knowing already that you will bless us through the word of God. We thank you for the fact that we've been gathered here to worship your name, lift it up, the praise that we've done in singing, as Paul has led us in congregational prayer, Father, in the sense all of the matters that are going on in our lives, Father, you care. You loved us. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Your first, your first motive, Father, was love. And Father, we want to thank you for that. We thank you for Jesus Christ. And now, as we go to the word of God, as we continue to study through this bridge book, Seeing the life of Paul, Father, may the principles that are here in this man's life, may we take them, see them, and apply them in our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit, which, Father, we ask would exclusively be our teacher and leader in these moments before us. We're here, we're yours, and we want you to have full control. We ask for that as you take us where you want us. Zero in on the target, Father, where we need to be. Thank you for what you'll do in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> I might ask uh, Laramie again if you could just throw up on the wall for us the uh, temple, if you will. Paul will just uh, review for a moment as we've been in chapters 21. Paul has gathered up monies. He's been really literally across around the whole world. Uh, we've had that map up for you a number of times from his missionary journeys. And he has, a, he has an entourage that he's brought from, uh, brought to Jerusalem now. He has uh, not only offerings from the Gentile areas that he's been visiting, evangelized, but he's also got representatives from those churches. And to Paul, this has been a really, really big deal. It may be one of his most focal points because he has been driven for quite a period of time now to get back to Jerusalem, and he wants to be there by the Feast of Pentecost. Pentecost would have been that celebration, quite honestly, that the church would have begun. It's a really unique time. Uh, but from the Jews that were gathered there, which would have come from all over the world as well for the Feast of Pentecost, they saw more of a law ceremony. Uh, after Moses would have led the children of Israel out of Egypt. It's thought, at least, was perceived that 50 days after that, that they received the Mosaic Law. And that's what Feast of Pentecost was about for them. So if you can think about that as that gathering of Jews, those that did not believe in Christ, and the Jews that were there because they believed Christ, and here's Paul in all of this, surrounded himself with Gentile believers that had come to bring offerings to the Jerusalem church and again, what would be the reason behind that? Well, to help the poor, obviously, to share amongst themselves, but also to show a unity and an equality between the Jews and the Gentiles, which if you want to get a Jew really ticked off that does not know Jesus, that's the way to get it done. And from last week, we know that uh, Paul um, was asked uh, if uh, our, our notes have changed. This is actually from a Bible study from Thursday night, but um, interestingly enough, uh, as Paul was delivering a report of his whole missionary journey 
to the church, to James, Jesus' half-brother, and opened for them all of the things, in particular, is the words that Jesus exactly in the scripture, that what had taken place. And as that unfolded, it became pretty clear that the Jerusalem church leaders were very, very concerned about something. They were very concerned that, shall we say, the word on the street about Paul was that he was literally, are you ready? He was anti-Jew. He was anti-Semitic. And you're just like, what? And he was against, they said, the temple worship. He was against almost everything that the Jews would have held dearly in the sense of tradition or custom. And so the church leaders said to Paul, I tell you what, we've got an idea. Why don't you take these guys that are involved in some vow, completion of vows, and by the way, Paul, you probably, since you've traveled, oops, I, I'm looking at that map up there. That's okay. I've asked Laramie to do exactly what we want. And so he's come in, and he's actually ceremonially unclean. So for him, it's a time that he can invest as well and partake in. Now, again, I want to say clearly, just like we did last week, customs and traditions that do not diminish from doctrinal importance things are okay. You know, if you think about growing up as a Jew, there would have been things that were very, very dear to you because of just the very family, the whole tradition of being a Jew. I asked last week, is, is a Jew a race or a religion? Yes and yes. It all fits together. It literally is. And by the way, a lot of the traditions that they held, God gave to them, which were significant in the sense of they pointed someone to the Messiah. But at the cross, the religion of Judaism has failed and still fails today because that was the focal point was to see and find the Christ, the Jesus Christ, the Messiah. From that point forward, now everything that Judaism is and that it becomes an, a, an end to itself. In fact, think of this today. Uh, I'm going to break for just a moment, but um, reviewing a moment, Antonio Fortress was where the Roman... Um, soldiers would have been, they were there for a reason. This was where all of the, you know, this whole area, the temple area, would have been where a lot of the action would have taken place, particularly on feast days. Uh, you notice the proximity to it. There was actually a stairway that came down into the Gentile courtyard. They were watching everything that took place, not so much to see what was going on from a religious ceremony, but looking for an outbreak and riot. They were looking for something that was out of character. The last thing they wanted to do was to lose control from a Roman-controlled territory, and something would happen in here that would, they would lose it. The Achillearch, we talked about him last week, he was a chief captain. We read about him here again in our passage. He was a ruler of a 1,000 men. There was a thousand guys that I would have to say are riot control police. They're there because just in case, <laughs> well, this was such a case. Um, Paul has, no, why, you, you, all of this thing going on in here, I want to just state it before and when we end, they're going to kill this man, Paul. They're going to tear him from limb to limb, beat him into a pulp. Honestly, uh, we'll get into it in a moment. They're, they're taking their clothes off and throwing dirt in the air. That sounds like quite the deal. <laughs> They're literally looking for rocks to stone him on the steps of the fortress where he's making his defense. That's what we found in chapter 22. But why were they there? To worship God. What? <laughs> what is going on? 
think of Jesus Christ the last week of his life, Passion Week. On Monday of that week, as he would have went through the city, they would have thrown their coats and, their, and palm branches and said, Hosanna to the king. And they recognized him as, as literally the Messiah. And on Friday morning, he was hanging on a cross. And they wanted to hurry up and get him off the cross, the religious leaders, because they wanted to make sure not to mess up the religious ceremony. That's religion at its worst. And that's a religion without Jesus Christ. Any religion without Jesus Christ at the, first, at the focal point is a complete fraud. Here's another one. Thousands of people in the temple, and they're there to worship, and they are literally trying to kill a man that is standing up for Jesus. That's crazy. Jeff, did you have a question? Why would they want to be there? Uh, it was more or less the Jews, again, they were seen, and, and where this would have probably begun from the standpoint that God would have opened the door to Gentiles because God chose the Jews as his chosen people to show the rest of the world what he could do through them. The idea was not that Jews were anything special. It was the fact that God was special. And the more that the Jews responded to a God that truly is sovereign, the more that people should want to be part of that group. Okay? That was the idea. That's why God chose the, the Jews. It wasn't because they were special. It's because he chose, and why he chose them specifically, I can't tell you. But he did with the reason not to point out that they're special in the sense of what's happening right now between Jew and Gentile. But it was really to have the rest of the world come to them, not because they were Jew, because the Jews had the real God. Now, so a proselyte, this, now the, interestingly enough, the Judaizers, this is a nice little topic to go down for a moment. The, the, Galat, the book to the Galatians was written to the, to the Galatian church. Uh, again, my ma we, we need almost two screens here, right? We need the big screen all the way around the room. Around, but in Galatia, where Paul would have started a church, the Judaizers came in and they said, uh, let, let, me, let, let me tell you guys, this Paul guy, you got to watch out for him. He's a little tricky. He's a little tricky. Uh, Jesus Christ, yes, he's a Jew, and yes, you can be saved by him, but, but let's get this right. To really be a Christian, as is described for salvation, first of all, you as a Gentile need to be a Jew. And to be a Jew, you have to be a proselyte and come through Judaism. Once, you're a Jew, uh, once, you've, once you profess Judaism, then you can have our Jesus. That was the message, literally, that they were protracting out to the entire world. So the Jews by such, if they had this courtyard open, it was like, it was open area to be able to become a Jew, a proselyte, somebody from the outside. But just to be a Gentile from a Jewish standpoint, whoa, that's a bad thing. And you've know, did you notice where we, where we finished? Paul is, we're going to talk about how he's just, just, just taken this whole group and connected to them. When he said the G word, Gentile word, they lost it. They lost it. And that's literally how it was. And see, Paul's, the whole thing that Paul was saying was, in Jesus, you're all the same. There's equality in Jesus Christ. They, they would have none of that. They would have none of that. And that's where they erred. So to think that they're there on a worship day, they grab Paul in the, in the inner temple part, drag him out, and begin just throttling him. We saw this last week. Kicking, and, and the guys in the top, whoever was watching, whoa, 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 we got a riot going on. Zoom, away he goes. The chief captain, the guy, he sends down, who knows, I'm going to say a couple hundred guys 
two centurions go down and they, when they, they grab Paul, they stop beating on him. How would you like to have been there? Now, that's a bad situation. That's what we want to capture, first of all. Uh, last week on our board, we had the sense that Paul's overarching quality or characteristic that totally eclipses everything else in his life was, do you remember what it was? Humility. Humility. Massive. And you guys did a great job. I should have actually taken a picture of what you'd written there uh, or what we wrote down, all of the things about Paul. And it was really cool for me as being the, the leader of the group for that day, uh, that moment was the fact that you didn't come up with humility until we really got to humility. And you know what? It was the driving of everything else. But that was what made humility so cool was Paul never announced it. His life exuded it, just as yours should as well. If you have to tell somebody that you're humble, you're not. You're not. So Paul is in a bad situation. Now, probably you have been in a bad situation. You probably even have been in a bad situation the last couple of days, the last month. Uh, in our prayer requests, there's things that happen. It gives us a tough situation. I've been in some. You've been in some. I would have to say Paul's in a pretty deep scrape right now. And the other thing is, is it was predicted. Agabus, which was actually in the last town in Caesarea, he had told him, and he used uh, Paul's own belt, if you will, and tied his hands and his feet. And he said, you're going to be bound in Jerusalem, and you're going to be turned over to the Gentiles. And it's interesting, Paul does not say one word. There's nothing from what, in, he does not react, he does not respond, until, until literally the, the Roman garrison grab him, and they're actually holding him over their heads to be able to escape the abuse that this crowd that is coming to worship God again, that is meeting out on this man. And they go to the, to the fortress at Antonio, they start to, and they go up the steps. And at the top, Paul, for the first, first thing he says is, um, Mr. Claudius, could I say something? And he said it in Greek. To a Roman, that is like, whoa. You speak Greek? Yeah, I do. And so now he's thinking, I have no idea what's going on here, but we have thousands of people in a total uproar. The riot is out of control. Yeah, why don't you go ahead and say something? I want to know what's going on here. I can't figure this out. But he thought he already knew, and we, I won't step too far into this, but he thought he was, he was the Egyptian that was leading 4,000 assassins. And this would have been the perfect opportunity of which the Romans would have been looking for because those assassins literally would be going through a feast such as this, lots of people, and they hated Jews these Egyptians, and they would go in and they would kill somebody, knife somebody, and just, you know, sift through the crowd, and they thought they finally had one of these, at least, maybe not even the leader. That's where the Romans were from on this whole thing, and he's, but he, to speak in Greek, that was weird, and then we find ourselves now in verse 1, chapter 22. Paul is now going to give his defense. First of all, he's in a really bad situation. How is he going to have a positive impact, a positive testimony in a really bad situation? Those are questions for us as well. If you haven't noticed, our world is screwed up. It is really headed down a pathway that it's hard to even find a bright spot. Uh, don't bother looking at the news. It's more disgraceful in the sense of what God's Word has designed for us from family, church, and government than anything else possible now is the United States news. It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. Is it a bad situation? Yes. But I don't know it could be too much worse than for the man Paul. He took the high road. Somehow in all of this, he is looking to have a positive influence for those there. And he does. He does. Let's start. He's going to give his defense. 
He's looking for an opportunity, and it seems as such that he's knowing this from advance. This is something now we may not have, something that may happen to you today or yesterday or, or last week or last month or whatever, five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, something that hit you out of the blue you wouldn't have known anything about, a bad situation, just went boom. Now this one here, I want to be careful to say, God had prepared Paul for what was going to happen. It had been going on for a while. In fact, even from his conversion back in chapter 9, we'll be going back and forth to that, it was shown by Ananias that Paul would literally suffer for Jesus Christ. And you almost can't miss the fact that the first time we're introduced to Paul in the book of Acts was what? Do you guys remember where it was? The first time we saw Saul's name, where was it? Can you hear it? Yeah. And what was he doing? Proving what was happening. And, and what was it? How did, where did you see him? What was, he, what was he doing? And this is important because we're going to see this little tidbit in a moment. What was he doing? He was that's right. He was holding our, our kind of, he was kind of like the, the garment checker, if we will, right? There, we can trust Paul because he's here because he knows Stephen should die. And it was like they were checking their coats, their garments. That sounds like what's going on right now, doesn't it? Except he's the guy that's being Stephen. It's almost, it's almost a parallel, isn't it, of what's taken place. And he was all in favor of a, of a persecution or, the, or the, um, the martyrdom of Stephen, and now he has switched places. But he has seen this coming, which I have to say, his whole overarching sense of humility, which we saw last week, and his motivation is what we want to find today. What motivated him to be that committed to the cause, to remain humble and taking a bad situation and looking for an opportunity to, for people to see God in it? That's what he's doing right now. And at the top of the stairs, as, and I'm, I'm sure that the Roman guy... Mr. Claudius Lysias, he has no idea what to do with this guy. And Paul in Greek says, um, sir, could I say a few words in Greek again? That'd be great, because be, maybe I can make something out of this. Here we go, verse 1, chapter 22. Now it says, though, that he spoke unto them, the group in the whole temple complex, he spoke to them in the Hebrew tongue. Now, that doesn't mean he spoke in Hebrew. That means he spoke in the language that would have been utilized through that countryside, which is Aramaic. That's what Jesus spoke in. That's literally what in the Old New Testament times, even though it was Roman occupied and Hellenized, that means it's in the Greek culture. Greek was not the language that was used in every day in Israel. It would have been Aramaic. Now, that was not what Mr. Claudius Lysias would have been prepared for. He would have preferred for Paul to speak everything in Greek because he knew that language very well. And you, you appear after all of this chapter that we read, Mr. Lysias is as confused as ever. He has no idea because I don't think he understood Aramaic. But the people that he would have been speaking to is, that's their language. Now, let's, before we even go any further, because this whole section really revolves a great deal around this. Let's say you're in a bad situation and you want God to be exalted. You want him to be magnified and potentially even a testimony, your life and your words to someone that doesn't know Christ. That's literally what Paul is doing. He has an audience now, which he could not possibly even imagine having that morning. As he left the house that morning, going to the temple with his Gentile friends, he, he, if he would have said this, he wouldn't have believed it. He said, guys, we're going to go to the temple today and we're going to go there to worship. And out of the blue, someone from Ephesus is going to see me because they recognize me from my three years there. And they're going to grab me and they're going to try to kill me. 
And then after a while, somebody's going to rescue me, sort of, and then we're going to go to another place, and I'm going to have the whole audience of the whole place, and I can tell them all about Jesus. Right. <laughs> that's crazy. But that's why we have to say, you know what, this situation, who's in charge? God is in charge. It may look bad. That's why never let circumstances determine what you think is God's will. Let me say that again. Circumstances do not determine God's will. Circumstances are only things that we can see right in front of us. We don't know what's behind it. We don't know what's 10 years down the road. But where we are right now, God is using for his glory for us to participate and give a positive influence to. How did that work? That's literally what Paul is doing right now. He's standing at the top of the stairs. He's addressing in Aramaic all of those people. What's his job now? We have God. He has accepted the situation. He has looked for an opportunity, and right here is in front of him. You know what his next job is? This is for us as well, and the people we engage with. Connect with them. How is Paul going to do that? These guys have just tried to kill him. Most of it, and all of it's fraudulent, it's lies. They said that they'd, he'd taken Trophimus and drug him into the inner part of the, of the temple, which was a Gentile, which would mean death not to Paul, but to Trophimus. Even, even, the, even the, what, what do I want to say, a convicted source wouldn't even do anything to Paul right now. He would have killed Trophimus, but it was all a lie. How is he going to connect with these people? That would be your job. That's Paul's job. How do we connect with someone that doesn't know Jesus? Well, if you went, I'm not asking you to, but it, he starts off this way. Men, brethren, and fathers. Now, if you go back to Stephen's address, chapter, chapter 7, you can do it on your own. Do you know it's exactly the way Stephen opened his, his address? Men, brethren, and fathers. Same way. He's communicating with them on the same level that he, in fact, is a Jew. He says, hear my defense, my apologetic, if you will, which I make now unto you. And when they heard that he spoke in the Hebrew tongue, in Aramaic, they kept them more silence. He had their attention. There was connectivity even through the language they would have used. Now, if he would have used Greek, guess what? It wouldn't have worked. He's going where they're at. Now, this is super important. I love to watch Jesus going through the Gospels. He was always wanting to connect at the point that people were at that moment. Think of the woman at the well. Okay? Now, would Jesus and the woman at the well met somewhere in Jerusalem or anywhere else? No! In fact, the disciples were totally abhorred by the fact that he was talking to a woman, no less a Samaritan woman, at the well. That was craziness. Guess where he started the conversation? He started talking about water. Why was she there? To draw water. She said, you know, if you really had the living water, you would, boom, she is, she's engaged. So watch how Paul engages them. He's connecting and engaging. He says, I am verily a man which am a Jew. Whoops. Well, anybody taking notes? That's good. He's a Jew. Hmm. What's, I wonder what. Now, this, this would be, the, what do we know about crowd? What do we know about a riot? They're angry. And they're confused. So two things we know. Every, if it's a, I don't care what kind of a riot it is. Angry, confused. <coughs> Little will be learned. So those that would have been swallowed up in this, wait a minute. He's a Jew? Well, that's good. Uh, he was born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, yet brought up in this city at the feet of, what? You mean he came back to Jerusalem, this city, and was taught by the feet of Gamaliel? Now, you don't know who Gamaliel is, but Gamaliel was the... I mean supreme, the ultimate professor for rabbinical school. You didn't, you didn't even get to get to get to get to be close to that guy. 
And this guy, this Jew that was born out of town, comes here to study at the feet of Gamaliel. I think there's silence going on right now. They're saying, this sounds really good. This guy's not bad. He's good. I won't get into too much, but Gamaliel was of, there was two different, well, for just a second. The Pharisees, he was a Pharisee, and there would have been two sides to it. There was a conservative side and a liberal side. Uh, from, from the standpoint of, just say marriage for a moment. Hillel, which is what uh, Gamaliel was the follower of. Hillel was the rabbi that took a position on marriage. Uh, Shammai was the other guy. And Shammai said about marriage, hey, very simple. The only way you can get a divorce is if it's actually misappropriate or, or misconduct within a sexual arena. Okay, boom. It's, it's very straight-laced. Uh, Hillel, which Gamaliel was a follower, a disciple of, um, you could actually, wives, unfortunately, if you burn the bagels, you could be kicked out. So which one do you think most of the Jews liked? The second one. I heard that. Somebody said that. The second one. Yeah, because you want to be easy. Uh, the states that have no, right? No fault divorce. You can just do what you want to do. That's popular, right? Well, when he said Gamaliel, I'm telling you what, 90% of that crowd would have said, yes! You know, I was just like, whoa, we can't say anything right now. We're still trying to, we tried to kill, why did we, why did we try to kill this guy? This is a cool guy. He's a Jew. He's a, he's a Gamalielite, if you will. I don't think that's even a word, but you know where I'm going. And he's taught, look, let's keep going back to verse 3, according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers. Wow. And look at this. And this even make another level. And was zealous toward God. He was a zealot. That was the far right wing of the Pharisees. Now, zealots were actually almost a party in and of themselves. They were ones that hated the Romans at every level. If there was a way to kill a Roman and get away with it, they would have done it. In fact, one of those was a zealot. Remember Simon the Zealot, which was a disciple? He was all over Jesus initially because here he comes. He's our king. We're going to win. That's really what a zealot was. So, I mean, at this point, people are saying, what's wrong with this guy? This is awesome. But then he even says something else. The connectivity goes to even one deeper level. He says, I was a zealot. I was zealous toward God as you all are this day. He's actually standing on the steps after being beaten. And I'm sure his face is puffed up. He's probably got blood on his clothes. He has been literally beat up. And he's saying, you know what? I actually know exactly what you're doing. You're doing what I used to do. You're here justifiably because you are on, you're serving God at the level that you understand him. You're just like me. I can't imagine the rapt attention that this guy had at this point. And he goes on, he said, I persecuted this way unto death. Now, when you see this way, if you go back to chapter 9, verse 2, there was, a, there was something called the way. And the way, W-A-Y, was a way to describe the Christians. And remember, it came probably from the standpoint of what Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father except through me. Very exclusive. And that bothers a lot of people. Why is it, why is it so exclusive? Because well, God said it, right? Um, someone would have said this. Is it easier if I say it this way? Um, you can come any way you want to come, but that's a lie. Oh. What's the truth? You can only come through Jesus Christ. Well, that's so exclusive. Or you can come any way you want, but that's a lie. Oh. <laughs> you, see, you see, I want the truth, don't you? If there's only one way to get out of a burning house and survive, I want to know that way. 
That's really what life is about without Jesus Christ. There's one way in Him. So it says that He actually persecuted the way, that is the Christians, those who were following, unto the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. This is another level. He said, I did that. Oh, and it gets better. Verse 5, as also the high priest doth bear me witness. In other words, you want to check, you want to check me out? You want to check me out? Just go ahead and visit with the high priest down the, down the street. He will tell you, along with the elders of the Sanhedrin, that I was the guy given letters to go get these people from the way, the Christians, and bring them here and get them taken care of. Hey, all of that's on my side. I was that guy. Can you imagine what everybody's thinking in that room right now? Hmm, I think we got the wrong guy. This guy's on our side. Now, keep in mind, he's telling his life story. This is a biography. He's telling his testimony, if you will, from three different positions. Before his conversion, the conditions or the circumstances at his conversion, and then after, his commission after the conversion. But the focal point is conversion, which is for anyone here or anyone that hears my voice, the point of change in your life is the day that you receive Jesus Christ. That's the beginning. There was a man that called me Tuesday night. I think you prayed for Casey today. Casey is a man that I've, I've witnessed to, uh, reached out, um, you know, and like everyone, lots of baggage. And he called me desperate Tuesday night, desperate. The end of his rope. I could feel it. I could hear it in his voice. Do you know that? Uh, he was in uh, Fort Collins, Colorado, but it was like he was right in my room. I could feel it. And we talked for quite a while, and I said, Casey, I think God has brought you to a point right now where you are at making a decision. Are you ready to commit your life? To Jesus Christ. And, you know, we kind of hemmed and hawed around a little bit, you know. Well, I don't know, I, but he said, I can't live like this anymore. So he prayed to accept Jesus Christ as a Savior, right? Now, what I'm hoping it wasn't just emotional, right? Because that talks about sometimes, to just get out of a jam, you'll trust Jesus for a day or less, <laughs> right? Just get me out of the jam. Let's do business. Let's trade. I'll, I'll, do, I'll give you whatever you want for a day. No, 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 no. I said, no, Casey, you got to mean business. This is the real deal. If you're really, really ready to just give it all, I will lead you in a prayer. And it's not me. It's not my prayer. It's your, this is something that's for you personal. It's like taking it and running with it. See, that's a level. That's exactly literally what happened to Paul. Paul is trusting God out of unbelief, if you will. He's chasing the wrong direction. But he's come to a focal point. In fact, let's keep going. This is who he was. He was, he was crazy, rabid against Christians. And in verse 6, he changes. Watch, watch this. It came to pass that as I made my journey. In other words, he's got these letters from the chief priest. Do you want to check with him? All of the elders that we read about in verse 5. Just go ahead. I was on my way to Damascus. I'm going to go get some of these Christians. We're going to punish them. I'm on my way. And came nigh unto Damascus about noon. Now, that's a little tidbit I have circled in Acts chapter 22 because it's not given in his conversion account back in chapter 9. There's things that you have to, you can add together and make it even full, more full contextually. But now think of that. It's noon. Why does he say that? That's the brightest part of the day, right? The sun is at, that's the high point. And in that countryside right there, that would have been like, it's, it's hot. It's the real deal. At noon, all of a sudden, boom, there is a light that just knocks him to the ground. That, my friends, is a bright light. At noon. Not at midnight. Noon. He's talking to him about his conversion. It says, suddenly there shone from heaven a great light round about me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying unto me, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Uh, he's got his attention. 
Now, Saul probably already knows it because he wakes up in the morning and he has his Captain Crunch and he's ready to go get a Christian. That's what he does every day. That's his whole deal. And here he gets knocked to the ground with a bright light, which we'll find is the glory, the Shekinah glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. No one has ever been able to look on, on God because of who his brilliance, his Shekinah glory. In fact, it, Jesus' transfiguration, remember that? They couldn't hardly behold the, the glory of this, of this one. And yet that's what literally on that moment, boom, captured him. And he said, why are you persecuting me? Saul probably knew the answer, but he said, who is it? He wants to know who it is. Now listen, to the audience that would have heard this, this was the shortest sermon on resurrection possible. I answered, who art thou, Lord? And he said, verse 8, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecutest. Now everybody in that crowd right there would have known that Jesus of Nazareth was killed on a cross some years back. Paul, who, who did you say talk to you? Jesus of Nazareth. Now, he didn't say it was Jesus Christ for good reason. He's still connecting, right? Because if he would have said Jesus Christ, they would have said Jesus the Messiah. And gone. He said Jesus of Nazareth, which, which is a great place to start when you think about the fact for him to say that Jesus, who spoke to me, means that he literally was resurrected. And he's living. I can't imagine what was going through that crowd right then. Whoa. You mean that resurrection story was real? That really was what happened? And then, they, in fact, here again, corroboration, he says, and they that were with me, there was, there was other guys around me. I had a whole entourage with me, and they, and they saw the light as well and were afraid. You want to talk to those guys? They were there too. It wasn't just me making this story up. They saw. Now it says they didn't hear the voice, but they couldn't hear the actual. It was like the words were directly given to Paul, this, this direct testimony, this direct call, if you will, but they would have heard the noise from heaven. But they were there. You want to talk to those guys? This happened. This is starting to, wow, he's got their attention. And then he said, verse 10, what a great question, isn't it? Something I like to do as well. What shall I do, Lord? <laughs> I, I did that about, you know, when you have all of this stuff, this mud and snow and cows aren't doing very well. What, what do you want me to do, God? These are your cows. They're not mine. I'm reminding him of ownership now in the last <laughs> little bit. These are your cows, right? I want you to know these are your cows. I'm just trying to take care of them. What shall I do? Isn't that a great question? It really is. If you're living and you know Jesus Christ as Savior, if you don't know Jesus Christ as Savior, that's the first question. What do you want me to do? And if you are saved, that's a, that's a moment by moment, open-ended, what do you want me to do next? And it takes the pressure off, doesn't it? And he answers, uh, by the way, arise, go into Damascus, and there it shall be told thee of all things which are appointed for you to do. I've got some stuff for you, Paul, Saul, at this point. And when I could not see, watch now, why? I could not see for the glory of that light. That's literally the brilliance of the very being of Jesus Christ. Being led by the hand of them that were with me, I came into Damascus. He was led in Damascus. And then he says, and there was one, this guy, Ananias. Let's talk about him, he says. He was a devout man according to the law. Oh, that's good. Having a good report of all the Jews. Now, why did he say that? Again, connectivity. He wants them to get connected to what he's saying. I'm a Jew taught by the Pharisee of Pharisees. 
And then it's Jesus of Nazareth on a, my way to persecute more of them. Got my attention. This Ananias, he said, uh, he dwelt there, and he came unto me, and he stood, verse 13, said unto me, Brother Saul, receive thy sight. In the same hour I looked up upon him. His sight was, was, was given back to him. And he, said, and he said, the God of our father, ooh, another good connection word. There was every person that in that temple that would have been a Jew knew what the, it meant, the God of the fathers. May not mean that much to us, but God of the fathers, that's, that's Israel's God. He hath chosen thee. He's chosen me. Now, here's something else. As you're connecting, what you want to make sure is your testimony, what you're unfolding and revealing is the fact that it's not you that they're going to reject. It's God. Because I don't want anybody to reject me or reject Jesus Christ for me. Then I've talked about me. That's all I've done. Self literally has gotten in the way of a relationship that needs to be between a man, woman, and God. Do you see what Paul's doing? He said, hey, don't, don't blame me. God's the one that chose me. This is a God thing. You want to you, you be mad at somebody? Go ahead and be mad at God, the God of your fathers. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Brilliant. Do you mind, do you, have you ever, do you know if somebody asks you, where is Paul's testimony? Now you say, well, we're reading it. No, I mean, his condensed, really tightly wound testimony. Do you know where to find that? Now, again, I'm going to tell you, this is, I, I want to do it right now, because it literally, at the end of it, he's just exalted Jesus Christ. It's not about him. It's not how my life has changed. In other words, if I'm going to tell somebody about Jesus Christ, well, just look at me. Just look at how I've changed. Well, he may have changed you, but don't make it about you. Make it about God. Let's watch this. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 1. It's concise. It's only about five verses. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Let's go there. 1 Timothy chapter 1, and let's take a look. If I ever get there. Oh, I'm on the wrong side of it. There we go. First Timothy chapter 1, and let's start at verse 12. Paul is writing to his, his dear young friend, Timothy, who he's mentoring. He says, verse 12, chapter 1, 1 Timothy. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer, a persecutor, and injurious. But I obtained mercy, because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Howbeit, for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, who did he exalt? God. See, our lives should exalt God. Um, we had on the board, which I haven't even used it now. I erased it and didn't use it. The evidences of a Christian, literally, in your life should be pointing to Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, everything that you do should point someone to Jesus. That's exactly what Paul's life did. His testimony, his life, his words, even, if you will, that came from his heart, came from within, it showed Jesus Christ as being exalted. So he's connecting, but he's exalting God as well. Back to verse 14 of chapter 22 of Acts, he says, The God of our fathers hath chosen thee, Ananias said to Paul, that thou shouldest know his will and see that just one, that would be to see Jesus Christ, and shouldest hear the voice of his mouth. For thou shalt be his witness unto all men. Ah, that was okay. As long as you say the all word, you're okay. What thou hast seen and heard. And now why tarryest thou? Oh, now here's something interesting. 
Obviously, if you were going to say this, let's just slip into Paul's sandals for a moment. And you have just went to the high priest, you've checked in, and you've got these letters that give you permission to be able to extradite these Christians, these people from the way, from Damascus, and you're going to bring them back to Jerusalem, and you're going to make sure they get what they got coming. And you're on your way to Damascus. And boom, out of the blue, like lightning bolt, you are smashed to the ground with a light that is brighter than you could have even possibly even thought about. Who is taking the initiative right now? Paul? It's completely God. Now, that would be the election of God, okay? And I'm here to say, first of all, if you think I'm going to explain to you fully and completely the tension between the election of God and human responsibility, I can't do that. It's an infinite concept that is, has both sides of it. Right here we have it. There's no question. You could not come up with it. Paul literally was the one that knocked on Jesus' door and says, I want to talk to you about, no, no. Boom, drop the hammer. Now, if the gospel has been presented to you and you've resisted it, it's your responsibility to accept what is truth. That's literally what Ananias, that was the mission of Ananias. Paul was asked to go to Jerusalem to meet Ananias for this reason. Watch. He's told him what God's going to do, but then he says in verse 16, that's Ananias, chapter 22 of, of Acts, and why are you waiting? Why tarriest thou, as in the King James? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Paul, what are you waiting for? You've met Jesus. What are you going to do about it? Are you going to accept him or not? See, Paul had a decision to make. Now, if he would have just said, oh, it's just not the right time. Guess what wouldn't have happened? Right? The rest of his life in the way it happened. But now, we want to be careful. I want to take just a few moments because this, this verse here really literally, this verse 16, chapter 22 of Acts, is a verse that has been utilized for baptismal regeneration. And what I mean by that is that you have to be baptized to be saved. They take it out of this verse. Okay, so let's read it, and it almost seems that's the connotation. I'll, I'll read it to you again. Ananias is saying, why do you wait? Arise and be baptized, and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. If you read it at face value, it's like, hmm. So you're baptized to wash away your sins? So let's just back all the way up then. If baptism washes away your sins, then everybody's saved because everybody's been in the water. Well, no, it'd have to be holy water. Where does it say that? Well, it's got to be Jerusalem water. Well, then all the people in Jerusalem would be saved. See, it doesn't even make any sense. So we have to come to the fact, is it water that saves? Washes away sin? No. But is that what Paul was preaching? Let's go to Romans chapter 10. Let's see what he said. If this is what Ananias taught him, then he obviously would have taught what he heard. Let's go to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, and let's see what Paul says to someone in a situation that really needed it. Uh, verse 9, he says, uh, chapter 10 of Romans, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, making him a Lord, and thou shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Can somebody show me the water in that verse? Oh, there's no water in the verse. Okay. Verse 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Huh, boom. Uh, you that are familiar with Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, 8 and 9, for you're saved by water? Oh, grace, it's not water? Oh, and how? Grace by 
By water? No, faith, right? You're saved by grace through faith. Huh. I want to show you something, though, that even fits this even more clearly, because this is what Paul is teaching now. And if he's not teaching what he really believes, and if that's what Ananias told him how to be saved, that would have to follow through even his lifestyle. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and let's take a peek. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we'll fire in here about verse 14. He's showing the fact of divisions, and he's saying, we don't want these little divisions, people. And he says in verse 13, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Watch. Now, here's what we want to start to see. Now, again, speak, think with me. If you're saved, if your sins are washed away by baptism, watch Keep that in mind as he says this. I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius. In other words, I didn't want any of you to become Christians except just those two guys. Those are the only two I baptized. Hmm, that's a little different, isn't it? Keep going. Keep it, whoa, now I lost my place. I hate it when I do that. He goes on, lest any should say that I had, been, that I had baptized in my own name. I baptized also the house of Stephanus. Besides... I don't even know whether I baptize any other for Christ. Watch now. This is the verse. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Boom. Massive separation. I didn't come to baptize. They came to preach the word of God. So what is baptism for? Baptism is identification. Is there anything wrong with baptism? Of course not. But it's not a work. Or it is a work, isn't it? And any work is what? Does not go to salvation. It's by Grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone. Now, but what's baptism for then? Why, why, why did Ananias say to Paul to be baptized then? Saul at that point. Why? Well, one of the things that would be very interesting is if you were someone that had known about Saul, and here comes Mr. Ananias, he says, I want you to meet our new brother Saul. Well, you've got to watch out for that guy. He's a bad boy. But if Paul publicly professed Jesus Christ and was baptized, identified with the body of Christ, that's the public testimony that he internally has had his sins washed away by receiving grace through faith. And that's literally what he tells everybody else as well. Because why would he just save a few? Speaking of the fact, well, I only baptize, I think, I don't even know who, right? Of course not. It has nothing to do with that. He didn't come to baptize. He came to preach the gospel so people were saved. Now, baptism is something that's a later. It's not before, it's after you are saved. Now, for me, as I grew up, I wanted to make sure that baptism was not, and that's how I was taught, that baptism is not part of of salvation. So it was almost like I was the other guy. I'm putting brakes on to be baptized because I don't want it to be part of a work. You see what I'm saying? But after a while, and it took more years than I'd care to admit, but there was a point at which God's starting to work in my heart. Larry... It's pretty clear that you need to be baptized according to the Scripture. And it's not to get saved. It's because you're saved. And, you know, it wouldn't go away. And do it His way. Completely immersed. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You come up and it doesn't make you new. It identifies you publicly as what you've done internally. You don't get your sins washed away by baptism. And that's why baptismal regeneration is really another gospel. Because if you think you have to be baptized to get saved, then I'd want to visit with the the guy on the cross, the thief that got saved the day that Jesus was in the middle. And he says, remember me today when you go into your paradise. This guy deserved to be on the cross. He was a criminal. And Jesus said, today you will be with me. 
today you will be with me. Wait a minute. I actually had a guy say that believed in baptism or regeneration. I said, what do we say about that guy? He didn't get off that. He said, you don't know he didn't get off the cross to get baptized. Yeah, right, right. You take that and tell a Roman. If that Roman guy would have pulled the nails and took him down, got him baptized and put him back up, I'm going to tell you what, he would have been killed himself. Strangest thing I've ever heard. That's the one, is the, the thief that was saved that day. Now, if he would have gotten off the cross, or it was another day, was given the opportunity, fantastic. But he doesn't need a public testimony right now because he, at the end of that day, was in the arms of Jesus Christ, his Savior, in paradise. I'm a little too animated today. I like it, though. Let's keep going. Back to Acts chapter 22. We're going to have to move. It came to pass, verse 17, that when I was come again to Jerusalem, even while I prayed in the temple, I was in a trance. It means he was in a, another level. Uh, you have, you, you that are with us, you have your senses, your eyes, your ears, you know, you have your five senses. But you can see the only people in this room, right? Uh, you're not the only beings in this room. Now, I'm not trying to be woo-woo right now, but the Holy Spirit literally lives within each one of us. That's why the Feast of Pentecost was so critical for this, those flames that were, appeared above the believers' heads, that the, that the Holy Spirit came within them. They would have not known. Today, how do we know a Holy, that the Holy Spirit is one of the Christian? Is how they live. The wind that's blowing. You can't see the wind, but you can see the effects of it. Okay? Right now in this room, I will tell you, I can't see them either, but Paul, or this is even more fun. If you go to, this would be reading on your own. Go to 2 Kings chapter 6 and plug into that. Elisha was, was giving secrets away to the enemy. I'm sorry, the enemy's secrets to, to Israel's king. And the guy is going crazy. That is the guy from Syria, Benadad. And he says, who is, who's my mole? Who's the guy that's sharing this stuff? I think it's that Elisha guy. Who's he? He said, well, he's a man of God. Go get him. So they go, and they've got all these chariots and horses, and they're going to go, and they're going to surround this guy. And the next morning, the servant of Elisha opens the door and says, oh, my goodness. Closes the door, says, you won't believe what's out there. We're doomed. And Elisha says, in verse 16 of that chapter, he says, there's more with us than's with them. And then he prays this. He says, Lord, would you let this young servant see who's really all here? And he does. <laughs> and surrounding Elisha were all of these chariots of fire that were gods. I'm going to have to say angels, his servants, if you will, that are protecting them. There are angels in this room right now. There are things that we cannot see. You cannot see the Holy Spirit. When we die, our resurrected bodies will allow us to see and know things in another dimension. And I'm not talking about new age dimensions now. I'm talking about fully engaged in what God and everything that he is we are involved in. We will be able to see God as he is. You can't see the demons that are around either. That would probably put us in another level, wouldn't it? I think we know just enough. Put on your armor, as it says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 18, and just live for Jesus, right? Until we get to see him. But at any rate, he's in this trance. He's in this other level. And it says that he saw him saying to him. Now, wait a minute. Let's go back to verse 17 one more time. It came to pass that when I was come again to Jerusalem. Now, what you don't know is it took three years 
before he came to Jerusalem. He was off and away because the last thing, see, I want to go to my map, but um, as Paul, he was not effective in Jerusalem because he was a persecutor of Christians in the in in Christian church. Three years later, he comes back to Jerusalem, and guess what? He's praying where? In his house? In the temple. He's in the temple praying, which again, for the Jew that's listening to this speech, connectivity. Three years after he got saved, after the conversion, he still feels good about the tradition of, of the temple. And he's in this trance, and it says that he sees Jesus, and, he's, and Jesus says, Make haste and get thee quickly out of Jerusalem, for they will not receive thy testimony concerning me. And I said, Lord, they know that I am prisoned. You know what he's doing right now? He's arguing with God. Now, you don't need to raise your hand, but have any of you ever argued with God? There's a lot of smiles going on right now. When the blood of thy martyr Stephen was shed, I was standing there, consenting unto his death, and kept the raiment of them that slew him. In other words, I would be the perfect one to save the Jews in Jerusalem that hate you. Because I was there. I was one of them. And he said, verse 21, depart. In fact, it took 15 days for him to leave. For I will send thee far hence unto the Gentiles. And it was like hitting the magic angry button again. He said the word, the G word. And I'm telling you what, that whole place erupted. They had, he had him at the Jew. He had him at Tarsus. He had him at Cilicia. He had him at Gomaliel. He had him at your father's. He had him at the conversion. I don't know about this Jesus guy being resurrected, but he's okay. And then, yeah, you can preach to all men. But when he said the Gentile word, I mean the place erupted gone crazy, mad, nuts. Verse 22, they gave him audience unto that word and then lifted up their voices and said, away with this guy for it's not fit he should live. And as they cried out, they cast off their clothes and threw dust near. Now, I don't know what that looked like. Just imagine though, where are you at? Well, it would be in the Gentiles courtyard. You're looking up the stairway going up the Antonio Fortress. Paul is at the top. He's been addressing you. And the Roman soldiers, if you were kind of listening, maybe not even understanding. It would be like, maybe not the same as me listening to someone orating in Japanese, but it would be like, oh boy. You know, what? What? Because you can tell from the response of the Romans, they had no idea what he said. And all of a sudden, the coats are coming off and they're throwing dirt in the air. Do you know why they're throwing dirt? Because there's probably no rocks in the courtyard. What's with the coat thing? Back to, remember Saul? He was keeping the garments. It was like making sure that you were able to launch. That It was like getting freer to be able to take care of business. That's how, that's how sinister this is. In the courtyard. They were there to do what? Worship, the W word. This must have been a place that, I mean, I can't, I'm trying to imagine what that looks like. I mean, there's just dirt, and they're throwing, if you ever try to throw dirt, it doesn't work, right? And, and you know what? Again, here's, here's Paul. What do we know? Let's, let's review where we're at. He's accepted the situation as being from God. He's looked for an opportunity to bring good, a positive, to a bad situation. He's connected, attempted to connect with the audience, Right? He's made sure he's exalted God because this is what he doesn't want. He doesn't want them to refuse the gospel because of him. He wants to make sure, and this is really key, make sure that the reason that someone rejects Jesus Christ is because of Jesus Christ. But where is Paul in all of this? What's his attitude? 
you have to see low, don't you? Everywhere. Now, they'll even be proven now. If you were a Jew, uh, what did you think of the Romans? Well, they're a riffum, 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 right? I mean, under your breath, you just can't wait to get rid of them. The Roman guy, he's had it. He's just done. Oh, my word. Here we go again, right? So he says, well, I know how, I, I'm a Roman. I know how to deal with this stuff. I'll get the truth out of this guy. It's called torture. I'm going to take this Paul guy, and I'm going to give him a good dose of scourging. And guess what will happen? We'll get the truth. We'll find out what he's done, because obviously he's done something. Now, this is something that hadn't happened to Paul. If you've read all of the events that have happened, you'd say, oh, my word, what didn't happen to him? This is something that never did happen to him because of who he was. Not that he was Paul of Tarsus. There was something else. But to be scourged, which our Lord Jesus Christ was scourged, and, and a scourging is, I can't really even describe for you, honestly. It's so gruesome. It's so amazing. And it says as... The chief captain, the guy that has a 1,000 men, he's the guy that's running this place, says, all right, I'm going to examine him by scourging. That's the word used. I'm going to examine. In other words, I'm going to get the truth. As they're tying him with thongs, what they're doing is they're really literally taking his body in his tense situation as stretched as possible so that the guy would has the flagellum, which is a wooden handle with a leather, you know, leather extension at the end of it. Oops, just about tore that off. At, at the end of it are strips of leather that have bits of bone and metal. And as that lictor would snap, and of course, in a, in, a, in a stretch situation in your skin, it would open immediately. And if you weren't killed, you would be crippled for life. This had never happened to Paul. They did it to Jesus and then asked him to carry his cross. I'm going to tell you, anyone that says Jesus Christ is a wimp, I'll tell you what, I'll take that person to task, and you, you go ahead and follow in his footsteps for a while. And then to do it, and you didn't have to. You chose to. What motivated Jesus Christ is the very same thing that motivated Paul because Paul was Jesus Christ inside. He made Jesus Christ everything in his life. It's just as motivation, love should motivate ourselves as well. Not motivation for what we get or what we see, but literally for the appreciation we have for what Jesus Christ did to us. Jesus Christ saved us. Now, again, it's not God's love that saved you. Let me say that again. God's love did not save you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. His only begotten son is who saved you. His love initiated it. It's just like our love that is motivated. Our, when our, when, our, when our, our, our whole, Paul's whole life is motivated by love. That's really what's happening here. Now, let, let's think about this for a moment. Come back to the, to the scourging. Paul has one little snippet that he hasn't shared with our chief captain. <laughs> and why did he wait so long? I'm like, you know, you know what, one thing? I have to believe that if he would have taken one blow, if Paul would have let them finish, they were, they were stretching him out, they were getting him ready, and if he would have taken one blow, he could have said, I'm a Roman citizen, and that man would have died. The one that, the Chiliard, the guy with a thousand, thousand men underneath him, he would have died because you cannot scourge a Roman citizen. Now, if you really hated Romans, just take one shot. And you would have killed people you hated. But as he's being tied down, he says, it's just matter-of-factly, hey, guys, uh, is it lawful to scourge a Roman citizen that hasn't been condemned or convicted of anything? I mean, stop now. 
that guy, I mean, he probably made more steps, least, the least amount of steps to get to the Chiliarch's office of any in recent history. Did you know this guy was a Roman citizen? What? He doesn't, he comes out himself and he says, are you a Roman citizen? Paul says, yes. Oh my goodness. And then he says something, it even gets better. It's like, it's like finishing the nails. He says, uh, man, I bought my citizenship. This is the guy with the thousand men underneath. He says, I paid for my citizenship. And Paul says, well, I was born free. That's like, that's like numero uno. That's like having the license that has good for everything. Now, how did he buy his? Do you remember what his name was? It's Claudius Lysias. Lysias is a Greek name. Claudius, oh, this is starting to make sense. Because you could take Claudius, the emperor's name, right? And you become a little more cool. So he's the emperor's name followed with his Greek name. But there was also some things that happened under one of the emperor's wives. It was a little money-making scheme. And she had people that were working for her, and they would sell citizenships for a lot of money. And guess, who, guess what happened to that? I kind of got divvied up. So he would have been one of those that paid an exorbitant amount to get a citizenship, talking about Archiliarch, and he's about to beat the guy that's born free. Now, we don't know how Paul's father, his father was a Roman citizen. How did he get, I don't know. But the matter, did you see how God equipped him for this situation? Oh, my goodness. I don't know where you're at in your life's journey. I'll tell you what, though. God is equipping you for what's in your future. He has done everything necessary for you to take your life journey when you choose Jesus Christ. Paul is in a perfect spot. Now, he's no longer free. From this moment to the end of the book of Acts, his whole ministry is different in the sense of how he's traveling. He's no longer free. He's a prisoner, but his effectiveness is no less. That's why no matter where you are in God's journey, your life's journey does not matter where you When you see that it's God's program and you accept it and you look for an opportunity and you look to connect to those around you, helping them any way possible, and you exalt Jesus Christ, and your attitude is motivated by love, you will turn the world upside down around you. And right now, we need our world turned upside down around us. Isn't this crazy what this guy did? Single-handedly. <laughs> the Romans are scared death of him. <laughs> I can't imagine. What, I mean, I just... Don't touch him. No, don't touch him. Stay away from him. And Paul's just getting started. In fact, what happens now, it says that on the morrow, verse 30, he had known the certainty wherewith he was accused of the Jews. He loosed him. That's the chief captain from his bands and commanded the chief priests and all their counsel to appear and brought Paul down and set him before them. What's going to happen is we're going to have phase two next week, Lord willing. Phase two of where Paul is going to defend. He's going to apologetically give his defense. Now, Again, guess who it's going to be before this time? Let's see. Well, I'll just call these guys up and I'll just have a meeting with them. No, see, this is the really cool part. God is allowing him to have a witness before people that he could not even get close to. He's going to be talking and defending himself before none other than the Sanhedrin. And he's going to declare for them another opportunity except Jesus as Savior. This is, isn't this good stuff? It's good stuff. Uh, captured, there's two things that I have to say right now in the, in the last couple of weeks together that have really, really gotten us to the point of seeing Paul for, in full color. The one, again, it's, it's, it's what I call a usability index. You want to be used by God? I will tell you how much you'll be used by God by how much humility you have. You see, the usability index and humility go together. You'll be used more when you're more humble. And when you're more humble and usable, guess what happens? 
you will be motivated by Jesus Christ's love. Paul, I'm telling you, I, I don't know if I could, I, I'm, I'm fairly certain in the lack of my love motivation right now and the fact I'm so immature in so many ways that to see an entire populace trying to kill him and him to go to the top of the steps and not say, get me out of here. He says, could I talk to these guys for a while? Because he knows he's fully and completely in God's hands. That's humility at a massive level. Could he be used? Oh, unreal, right? Now, is he perfect? No, that's what even makes me more glad is the fact Romans chapter 7, that's me in that chapter, just like him. Oh, man, I'm going to be honest with you guys. This is Paul speaking. You know, the stuff I don't want to do, I do. And the stuff I want to do, I don't do. And it's the power of the flesh versus the Thank you for putting that in there. He's not perfect. He's real. But he really made a difference. Let's review one more time. I don't know where you're at. It could be a tough time. I know we're praying for some folks in our congregation right now. There's another one I'd like to add to your list. There's a family that called me, and I had it on the prayer team. Maybe Alice, uh, you can follow up with this, but Glenda, she's recovering well. She had pneumonia and a, and, a, and a UTI, okay? And I talked to her daughter. But now what's happened in the last couple of days is that the daughter, her husband's brother-in-law committed suicide. So they're headed back to Missouri, and she just broke her hand. Okay? Those are struggles, aren't they? Those are, those are tough situations, and we need to lift them up in prayer. But the point of the matter is, somewhere in there, I have a feeling that Laura and her husband will be in a situation in Missouri, back at this funeral, to be able to share something that God wants them, someone to hear. You see, that's how God works. Bad situations, friends, if Satan is in this world running it, we will have bad atmosphere. What will we do about it? Let's be like Paul. Accept it, look for opportunities, connect, exalt Jesus Christ. How are we doing? And what's the last one? The right attitude is motivated by love. Now you're going to review for me. Number one. Ooh, we've got to start all over. <laughs> number, and this is, this is key. This is number one. Because if you start asking the why question, because you're in a bad, tough deal and you start asking the why question, that's like going up this, and I can't imagine there's not some box canyon up, up Mount Baldy there that you can wind around and you can go and you're whining and you're complaining and, and pretty soon there's just nowhere to go. That's where the why question will take you. It'll take you somewhere where there's no way out. And if you doubt that, you go to Job. You start reading the book of Job. And in about chapter 38 of Job, He's asking the why question because his friends are doing a lousy job of being friending. You did something wrong, Job. You're a loser. You just won't admit it. And pretty soon he's, I didn't do anything wrong. What is going on here? God, why? And you know what God does not answer? He does not find you at the end of the why canyon. He just blows you away with being so massively sovereign and awesome. He said, Job, let's talk about a few things. Where were you when I created that? Where were you so the ocean still returned? And, uh, you know, it wouldn't take too long. You and you alone are God. That's where you got to get to. Right now where I'm at, I'm here, and God is here, and we can handle it together. Now give me an opportunity. That's number two. I gave you two of them. And after you've given opportunity, you're looking for opportunity, what do you have to do? You start connecting with those people around you. How can I get involved in their lives? What is my connection point? But in all of that, don't make yourself in the middle. You, 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 I'm leading the witness. You, 
exalt Christ. You lift up Jesus Christ. And all of that, literally, is motivated by love, and you will not have motivation of love until you're humble and are truly thinking about Jesus. You're thinking about what he's done for you. Not thinking less of yourself. You don't take the worm approach. No, 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 no. You just don't think of yourself at all. What is Paul thinking about right now? Everyone else. He's giving that message so that they can see Jesus. Is that not crazy how good this is? Now, how many would sign up for that that morning? I'll be on, I'm going to be on, no, no, I'm going to vote no. Did Paul, he saw it coming and he was still so humble, but he was perfect to be able to receive it, right? I'm still the guy that's got to get it. Why don't you have, let's, let's try that. Oh, I didn't see that coming. And then it, then it takes the time. Yeah, that's okay. It's okay. God's here. It was like my moment when Lisa collapsed it the second time and she was gone, basically. There's no more squeeze in the hand. 21 days after the stroke. And I beat the ambulance back to the hospital. And I'm leaning against the wall and I'm talking to no one in particular. I said, I don't know if I can do this anymore. And that little voice inside my head, can you do five minutes with me? I think I can. That's what, that's, that's what we have to be. And that's how worlds are changed. Not because of us, but because whose we are. And Paul was God's. <laughs> you have to know that he is God's property. Next week, this is like a continued thing, isn't it? Yep. I mean, like, boom, 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 boom. Next week, we see him talking to the grand poopaw, right? We're going to see him talk to the Sanhedrin and defend his faith. But for today, let's stop. Father God, thank you for the day. Thank you for your love. Forgive us, Father, for our failings, our sins, our trespasses. Sometimes just our attitudes bring us, take us where you want us to be. Lift us up, Father. Encourage us. Those down moments, those down days when the battle is raging, when it seems like too much, when we can't handle it, Father, you're there. You're there full and foremost and sovereign and big and awesome. Uh, Father... If someone does not know Christ, that's not something that they can even understand. And if there is someone that hears my voice somewhere today that doesn't know the Savior, that these moments are for you. This is a time for you to be able to surrender your life. All those things that are holding you back, those things that you maybe can't relinquish, think about their value, ultimately. They're nothing. There's nothing that you hold on to that has any eternal value. This is a time for you to meet the Savior. Meet Jesus Christ, the one that God loved the world so much that he gave him, God the Son, and he chose us in Christ before he made the world. That is true motivational love, agape, selfless love. As Jesus hung on that cross, thinking about his selflessness, those that were down below him jeering and shouting and making fun of him, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That same Jesus is the Savior that right now you can cry out to in the quietness of your heart, saying, Lord God, I am a sinner. I need to be saved by your grace. I don't even have enough faith right now, Father. I'm asking for you to give me enough faith to trust, to you to be God everything I know about God to be my God, 
to be my Savior, to come and take control of my life. I want it to be yours. And if you've done that, then your life is a brand new beginning. You are a new creation in Jesus Christ. Your life will be different from the inside. Christ will change you. He will make you what you want, what he wants you to be. Just like Paul. He turned from Saul into Paul as he believed God, but in a sense of unbelief. It was all about works. It was all about not believing Christ. When God met him on the road to Damascus, God initiated the journey. He initiated the opening. But it was up to Paul. It was his responsibility to accept him. Father, you know our life's journey. Each one of us, is, it's a separate one. You have us on a, on a mission. You have us in a place to touch other people's lives in different ways. Father, we, we take the principles that we've unfolded today from Paul's life to accept the circumstances, to look for opportunities, to connect with those around us, to exalt Jesus Christ, motivate it all by the love that comes from the Lord Jesus. To him and him alone may glory and honor go. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.